0: Welcome to Lost in Twin Peaks. Today's episode covers the mystery of Who Killed Laura Palmer. looks at the clues that we have in this episode. This is obviously a big one, a season finale. They want to wrap a lot of stuff up, but they don't wrap up the big questions, so we'll see where this leaves us at this point. And I'm also going to discuss the structure of the episode, which is particularly fascinating, I think, with this episode. There's like a real kind of tightening of the scenes as it goes along more and more. It was really fun to dig into and talk about uh, how the events are laid out in this episode and how the pace kind of picks up and picks up and juices us as it goes along. Who killed Laura Palmer? We don't know. This was a big surprise and source of some aforementioned frustration to many first-time viewers. How do you feel about it? We certainly have some strong leads to go on, but while the net is tightening around the possibly dead Leo in particular, Nothing has been solidified yet, and the lingering threads from other episodes aren't even unraveled here. Here are the new clues organized by active investigations. For the murder and the surrounding incidents, we have the police-FBI investigation, and their area of inquiry this episode could be summed up as Laura in the cabin. Everything they look at involves that, where she was apparently before she was led off to the train car. And through this, all these little different areas of inquiry that they've been looking at all come together. We've got Waldo the bird, one-eyed Jacks, Leo is a suspect, Jock is a suspect, and the bloody shirt. And uh, so from autopsy, dream trail, suspect area, police knowledge, surveillance, all these different ways of gathering clues, they've coalesced all this material together over the season, and now it's all focused on what happened in that cabin before she ended up at the train car. So... We have Cooper showing the the chip, the poker chip, to Jacques, and he claims he doesn't remember it, but as soon as Cooper imitates Waldo saying Laura's name, Jacques freaks out. Uh, So Cooper continues and makes it seem like he's just trying to prove to uh, Jacques that he knows Leo for the sake of a drug transaction, but he's just curious about what happened to the chip. Of course, really at this point, the Laura investigation is the real thrust of this sting, so you know, that's what he's really after, uh, in addition to the drug stuff. And he says, you know, Leo told me all about that night up at the cabin with the girls. I'm curious about the chip. How'd that happen? Jacques reports that Waldo the bird uh, flew out of his cage and landed on Laura's shoulder. And he was kind of like in love with her. He'd say her name all the time. He gets a kick out of this, the idea that the bird loved Laura. It's like everybody loved Laura, you know. They're all partying. They're getting high. It sounds like they're having an orgy. Laura's getting agitated because the bird is pecking on her shoulder. and, uh, And Leo puts the poker chip in her mouth. And that's when, you know, Jacques says that Leo ordered her to say, or Leo said to her, bite the bullet, baby, bite the bullet, as we heard in the opening quote, in that memorable way that Walter Olkowitz delivers it. And Cooper is horrified, but holds it all in and goes on with the conversation. When they arrest Jacques at the water processing plant, Harry says, you're under arrest for the attempted murder of Ernette Pulaski and the murder of Laura Palmer. So it's interesting. They got him there for drug trafficking, it seems, but for whatever reason, they choose right then and there, to arrest him for the murders. I'm not sure if there's a procedural reason for that or what. It's kind of interesting. Maybe it's just a dramatic beat to have in there. So when they have uh, Jacques in the hospital, it's all shot up with painkillers because Andy, you know, had to to fire on him. And uh, they ask him, did you take Laura and Renette up to your cabin that night? He says, yeah, they've both been up there before. There was no nuns. And he says, what did you and Leo fight about that night? Jacques says that Leo hit him with a whiskey bottle, doesn't know why, and he's bleeding like a stuck pig, and Leo's laughing, so Cooper deduces, well, you you use Leo's shirt to stop the bleeding. What then? Jacques says he got sick, he went outside, he passed out, woke up, he was laying on the ground, and everybody's gone. They're all gone. The car's gone, he doesn't know anything about the train car, and uh, he walks all the way home 15 miles. Harry's like, so Leo had to take the girls to the train car by himself. Do you believe him? And Cooper says he's too stupid to lie, referring to Jacques. So Harry says he'll testify against Leo. We got him. But they got to find Leo first. Now, thanks to Bobby's prank, surveillance is removed from Leo's house because they think Leo's at Easter Park. Lucy heard uh, Bobby call in to set up James. And of course, Bobby impersonates Leo on the phone. So that's why they're not there when Hank shoots him. They're not able to just arrest Leo in any sort of stable condition. And so Leo, of course, shot by Hank. Jacques is killed by Leland. So you've got the two primary figures involved at this point, the two biggest suspects, I suppose. I mean Jock has been arrested for that, even if Cooper says, well, he thinks Leo is more likely. But uh, you know, both of them kinda taken out of commission here. We don't know how Leo's gonna end up, but Jock looks pretty gone. And in the final scene, Cooper calls Leo the man I believe is responsible for Laura's death. So there you go. Whole eight episodes led us up to this point. We got a pretty clear idea of what was going on that night in the cabin. Uh, A lot of the mystery has been sort of resolved, but we still kind of have a gap between the cabin and the train car. And we don't really have a motive. We know Leo was crazy and cruel, apparently, but why this whole, like, was he just in a frenzy? What happened there if it was Leo? And again, the episode doesn't want to resolve that for us, so... We've got to wait until the next season to find out more. As far as Laura's life leading up to her death, uh, the police-FBI investigation, the only area of inquiry they look at related to that is the Flesh World magazine involving uh, Laura's relationship to Jacques and Renette. So they confirmed that Jacques took photos up in the cabin and that it was Laura's idea to actually pursue the Fleshworld thing. She talked Renette into making those ads. For Audrey, uh, she's investigating Laura's possible connection to One-Eyed Jack's. And she's told by Blackie, as she's put into her uniform for the night as the new girl, Blackie says, the owner's coming by tonight. And uh, then, as a sort of an incidental area of inquiry, this isn't something that Audrey's actually uh, like trying to investigate, but we have, it, you know, this was introduced before as, as omniscient observation about Ben. Uh, we have Ben as a suspect. So we've already seen a few things, like we know that he's involved with One-Eyed Jacks, which is possibly where laura went so you know that's been an area of inquiry for us but now it becomes one for audrey because of course the owner as she finds out when he enters the room at the end of the night is ben horn and blackie says this is a good night for you to break in the owner's coming by tonight he likes to spend time with all the new girls she says who's that and blackie says no names child you don't offer and you don't ask and of course Audrey doesn't have to ask. She knows as soon as she looks in that mirror. For Donna, James, and Maddie, their area of inquiry is the tapes that Laura sent to Jacoby. And so when they're in the apartment, Donna sees a coconut, and she remembers Laura saying on the tape, my little coconut. So she opens it up, and she finds the tape, uh, the, the last tape that they were looking for in there, and they listen to it at home. At this point... They're mostly kind of ready to move on from this. They've got all the tapes. They've listened to all of them. There's nothing on there that would confirm Jacoby's the killer. In fact, James seems to think he probably isn't. But a few new areas of inquiry pop up here because of this. First of all, we have the mystery man, which is not a new area of inquiry, but it's new for, for these people. They haven't been thinking about a mystery man at all. But when they listen to that tape, Laura says that there's a mystery man and tells Jacoby, if I tell you his name, then you're going to be in trouble and says, a couple of times he's tried to kill me, and guess what? As you know, I sure got off on it. And then she also says, this guy can really light my F-I-R-E, as in red Corvette. Now, we know, they don't probably know this, but we know that that red Corvette belongs to Leo. So this seems to be really pushing the idea that the mystery man is definitely Leo, which was already kind of suggested by Jacoby. So James concludes, Jacoby didn't kill her, he was trying to help her. So it seems like, at this point, their attention is shifting... Toward more the mystery man, than than Jacoby. However, there's a new area of inquiry, which is the necklace, because they also found Laura's half heart necklace inside the coconut, and they knew Donna and James that they buried that out in the woods. So, as Donna asks, how do you get the necklace? So there's still a little bit of. A question about Jacoby, but now it's more based on the necklace than the tapes. For information that's known to us but new to the characters, uh, we have, as mentioned, Donna and James finding out that Jacoby ha- has Laura's necklace, and also they hear the first tap of that half of the uh, tape that we already heard in episode one, leading up, you know, where she says, God, James is sweet, but he's so dumb, so getting a sense of how she viewed her relationship with him, which is a little upsetting to James, understandably. Okay, so let's gather all these clues and look at the big picture. So... Jacques, Leo, and Renette partied in his cabin, where Laura and Renette also took their flesh world photos the night Laura died, doing drugs and having an orgy where Leo and Jacques fought, Jacques using Leo's shirt to clean up his own blood before the other three disappeared. Waldo landed on her shoulder and Leo made her bite the poker chip that ended up in her stomach. Jacques is arrested for the attempted murder of Renette and the murder of Laura, but Cooper and Harry think Leo is the one who did it and await his capture. Meanwhile, Audrey does not find out if Laura worked at One-Eyed Jack's, but she finds out that... If she did ben was her boss there as well and donna james and maddie learned that jacoby is the one who took laura's necklace from the woods but that he was probably just trying to help her as she was seeing a dangerous mystery man who almost killed her before the overall portrait this particular episode suggests is of a young woman desperate for excitement who got caught up with dangerous low lives and finally died because of it with what we already know what is the big picture in short laura was a publicly generous and privately troubled young woman who struggled to overcome self-loathing. She worked at Ben's department store, where he ran a sex trafficking ring to his own bordello, and was involved in criminal networks with Leo and Jacques, who she and Renette, a surviving victim of her killer, spent the night with before she was tortured and murdered by a possibly occultist serial killer, who may be her mystery man, and who many believe to be Leo. However, as we prepare for a whole new season of Twin Peaks, one much longer than this one was, it's worth remembering what we still don't know. We've gotten nothing new on the serial killer for seven episodes. The charity uh, plot with, like, the Audrey-Josie-Norma tips that we got, you know, about her, her charity work. Nothing for five episodes. Nothing for four episodes on any sort of, like, common chatter or wisdom among the community like we got from Bobby and the preacher at the funeral. Nothing for three episodes on James as a suspect, Ben as a suspect, or the... Dream figure of Bob as a suspect. Uh, nothing about, nothing for uh, two episodes now for Bobby as a suspect or the criminal world uh, drug aspect. We got a lot of the sex trafficking stuff in this episode, but nothing to do with her drug business. No more guiding echoes from the dream trail for a couple episodes and nothing about the third man that uh, they seem to deduce from the log lady's speech. So, this is all stuff that's been out there that still really hasn't been resolved. So even though we've got a lot of focus in these past couple episodes that makes us feel like we're reaching an end point or getting close to one, there's a lot of threads that need to be tied here. The structure of the episode ratchets up the excitement by escalating the cross-cutting between locations and storylines. This is a finely tuned piece of work, a tribute to Frost's many years in the trenches of weekly TV production, not just sincerely employing, but also self-consciously heightening the tropes of soap opera storytelling. Frost calls it a parody of the genre, but also a calculated effort to force ABC's hand into renewing the series. Instead of answering its one big question, the show asks dozens of new ones, and then asks us if we'd rather wait a whole summer to find out more, or just give up now. Frost knows he's got us where he wants us. 36 Scenes is more per capita than any other episode. There's a buzz in the air right away, but Episode 7 starts at a reasonable pace. It's only after the last break that we get way more scenes than usual squeezed into one act. We fade down to the first commercial break, just shy of 12 minutes, as Cooper tells Hawk he's got a trout on the line. This first act, six scenes long, sticks to three stories the Jacoby, Donna, James, Maddie drama, the Bookhouse Boys' Sting at One Eye Jacks, and Audrey's initiation into the same. The first story takes place in two locations, while the second and third stories share one location. Arguably, just one arc, Jacoby's, reaches a climax, although, unlike most, It also receives a conclusion of sorts since we'll eventually spot Jacoby in stable condition back at the hospital. We return from the first break with Audrey uneasily listening to muffled laughter from her room and carry on until Josie wipes blood on her lips. This second act spreads the action out much more. Each of its seven scenes takes place in a different location, and most deal with different stories. Only Shelley and Leo are featured more than once. After another commercial break, we fade up on an establishing shot of The Mill, where Catherine is searching Pete's office, and this act lasts until 34 minutes, when Ed cradles an unresponsive Nadine. The third act blurs the lines more between its six scenes, some of which take place in the same location but deal with different stories, while characters travel between locations, Pete and Catherine, stories, Hank, or both, Ed. Finally, the fourth act is almost a mini-episode of its own, opening with a multifaceted sequence at the sheriff's station that intersects a half-dozen characters and at least three storylines. The episode then brings in a third situation at one Eye Jacks that it had neglected until now. And from here, things start to splinter. At the same time, many of the upcoming scenes will bring together characters who've seldom or even never interacted before. So even as the narrative fragments, we're being reminded how the different pieces are all connected to a larger puzzle. There are a whopping nine scenes here, some as short as 20 seconds, involving 18 primary characters, 19 if we include the unseen shooter separately, and at least seven storylines, maybe more. Keep all of this in mind when we break down how the next episode begins. In the previously on recap, Shelley tells Bobby she shot Leo, Waldo dies over donuts, and Cooper hears him say Leo no. Josie gives Ben the secret ledger as we see Catherine realize she can't find it. Insurance agent Neff tells her about the life policy. We see Nadine reporting her rejected patent to Ed and Audrey tying the cherry stem as she's welcome to one-eye jack's. Cooper meets Jacques. Bobby slips a package inside James's bike. Jacoby hears what sounds like Laura's voice on the phone and views what looks like Laura's face on a recent videotape, and there is heavy breathing as an off-screen figure spies on Maddie. The top storyline in this episode is the sawmill fire. Uh, there's eight scenes that involve that. That plot. So, even though it's the end of the season, the big question of the show has been who killed Laura Palmer. What's really driving more action than anything else at the point is uh, this very sort of by the numbers straightforward here's an intrigue in the town that involves a bunch of people and business and this and that. So, I think it's interesting that in Frost's episode, that's the case since he had such a background in the mechanics. Of, you know, TV storylines, and he could recognize that this was something that could give them a climax, like literally a big fire, a bunch of people kidnapped or set up in the wrong place, or going in to rescue somebody, being uh, stabbed in the back by somebody else, whereas um, the murder, there was still a certain looseness in there. I mean, the idea of a sting around Jacques gives it some form, but really, if you think about it, for the most part, all of the Laura adjacent scenes in this episode, be it Audrey just kind of waiting around at One Eye Jack's, or uh, Donna and James and Maddie getting their stuff pretty early in the episode, and then Jacoby just kind of being a casualty of that, and all you know, all of these other elements, uh, they don't provide the grist for the plot mill. Uh, interesting uh, pun there, since an actual mill is the story. Uh, I, I think that's just an interesting insight into Frost's sort of um, thinking about what's going to give us a big bang at the end of this series. So there we have it. The mill fire is the top storyline of the season one finale. That's it for this episode. Tomorrow we will discuss the scenes of the episode focused through the lens of the Laura Palmer stories. So looking at all the scenes that are related to her story, both her mystery of her death and also Uh, her past life, and how that reflects on the different characters and events that we see. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, and you can also become a patron on patreon.com slash movies.